guys are barrels of fun. I mean, I feel like I, as a person, am 11 and 15 right now. This is section 422. On the Welcome to the Section 422 Podcast, episode number 73. It is Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. Since Will and I last spoke, the Brewers decided not to play a scheduled game last Wednesday in response to racial injustice and the shooting of Jacob Blake by Kenosha Police. Uh, and by comparison, the events of the five days that followed that decision, including Monday's trade deadline, seem pretty trivial, but we'll discuss those happenings as well. The Brewers did make a trade. They enter play on Tuesday at 16 and 18 with a two-game series against the Tigers on tap at Miller Park. So a little bit more of the same on the field. But Will, the decision to not play a regular season game in protest of a social justice issue in Major League Baseball is something I've never seen in my lifetime. I mean, I'm 35 years old. And I think it answers a question I had back during the spring when sports were all shut down and the murder of George Floyd led a lot of people to either walk in the streets or protest or have conversations they hadn't previously had. Like As that change was occurring, the question I had was, what happens when the distractions come back? Like This is great that people are having these conversations, that people are standing up against social injustice, but we haven't done it for so long. What's going to happen when things get, quote, back to normal? And I think this is sort of the next step where teams have realized that in order to push for more change, things are going to have to be different. Athlete activism is something that we're going to see across all sports. And this this decision which came again last Wednesday, is the first of what might be a lot more. Whether it's always the decision to sit out a game, I think that remains to be seen. I think we're going to see a lot of different things in the months and, and years ahead. But I just find this entire story to be fascinating because I don't expect this level of activism from baseball players. I guess my expectations for Major League Baseball were so low that this decision really caught me off guard. And you had a great piece on The Athletic at the end of last week. What I'm curious to know is what transpired in the clubhouse that day that led the Brewers to make that decision? Well, this was unprecedented in baseball. That's clear, right? And I think it's also no coincidence that it was the Brewers who were the first team to do this. And not just because what happened in Kenosha, and that being close to home. That's definitely a huge part of it, don't get me wrong. It was close to home, it hit close to home, and therefore the Brewers acted. But there was a lot of dialogue between the Brewers players and Craig Council, Devin Williams, guys like Brent Suter, Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, throughout the whole season on this topic. And we kind of heard them say, like you alluded to, in the summer, during summer camp, and even parts of the season where they said, okay, we're going to talk about this more, or we're going to have these conversations. And you kind of think about it and you say to yourself, well, okay, that's nice to hear. You know, who knows what's actually occurring. But the fact is, is that they actually had the conversations. And that's the biggest thing where it wasn't just eyewash, you know, it wasn't just, oh, we're just going to say this, appease the masses. And, you know, it's going to look great. It's a, it's a huge, like, 
boon for PR. It was none of that. It was it was real. And that's the biggest takeaway for me is that these things actually occurred. They had these conversations. Somebody like Devin Williams was actually comfortable to to be himself, to express himself. We saw him, I believe it was that Monday of last week, where he sketched out BLM behind the mound at Miller Park uh, during his appearance that day. And that's not something that we've seen baseball players do. And if you are a black baseball player, you are just before this year, you are not comfortable doing that. We've we've heard black players say that uh, this year, and Devin Williams included. He has kept things to himself. That was the way that he has put it, which is sad and unfortunate. But that's changed, and it was just cool to see the Brewers behave the way they did, and their clubhouse sort of react the way they did. In unison. I mean, the vote was unanimous not to play. I thought that was a big thing as well. We learned a lot about their clubhouse in that respect, where this isn't a divided clubhouse by any means on that topic whatsoever. So that was good. And yeah, I mean, just the overall way they acted so swiftly to that decision, where in a matter of minutes, they had a meeting. Uh, Brent Suter, Ryan Braun, others talked. Devin Williams was a huge voice there too. I believe it was about six or seven guys who stood up and said something, and it became clear that they were not going to play. And then once that occurred, uh, Brent Suter, as their union rep, got on the phone with Tony Clark, and of course Tony Clark supported their decision, and they went from there. Uh, agree, the the Reds agreed to it as well, so it was not a forfeit. And so there you go, and it happened that way, and it happened quickly. And so it was hard to really digest it in real time. I mean, they had a meeting, a players' meeting that occurred, what, less than two hours or so before the game or two and a half hours before the game, and then the decision was reached around 5 p.m. for a 7 o'clock start or whatever it was. And so it was it was very quick. But again, uh, that swift action says a lot. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing here, too, is just thinking about Williams being a rookie in this clubhouse, on this team, and being the team's lone black player with Lorenzo Cain having opted out of the 2020 season. It's just another sign of baseball's lack of overall diversity. This is not unique to the Brewers across the league. Less than 8% of current players are black. And I think one thing that you and I have talked about in the past is that a major league clubhouse is often very clicky. You know, you have groups of players who just kind of keep together. And in the past, I'm not sure you would have had unanimous support in a situation like this, right? This seems like a group of people who have become more open-minded over time, like this being a major league clubhouse and specifically the Brewers clubhouse. But other teams followed suit. There were several other postponements uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, uh, there were some players who individually uh, chose not to play in games those days when their team still went ahead and played anyway. Uh, so it was something that we've never seen before. And again, I don't know what follows, but I do think it continues to nudge people who weren't previously thinking about these issues and people who weren't previously talking about these issues to have those conversations. I think one of the more uh, interesting snippets I saw from the managers and players who were discussing uh, these decisions came from a former Brewers manager, Ron Renicki, and he said, quite simply, he just said, look, they're going to be parents who have conversations with their children now because their kids are going to ask why there weren't baseball games 
yesterday or today, depending on when their favorite team chose not to play. And that sort of change, that sort of break in the schedule, break from the norm, it makes some people uncomfortable. If this makes you uncomfortable, you got to look inside yourself. You've got work to do. It's not really any way around that. And I just think we're we're seeing progress. It's going to be slower than people want it to be. That's just the way things happen. But we're seeing people, we're seeing teams, we're seeing organizations get behind a movement that, frankly, they've never been behind before. Um, so I, I just I, I'm a little bit relieved that the conversation wasn't completely lost with the return of sports this season. And I expected it in Major League Baseball, but it hasn't been the case whatsoever. Yeah, that's well put. And I, I've seen a lot of people like online just ask, well, what's the point of this? Like, why are they doing this? Especially if they just played on the next day anyway, right? Like, what was the big, what was the point of doing that if you if you were just going to play two games the next day anyway? And to that, you know, Brent Suter had some great comments. Craig Council as well is just like, you know, they weren't trying. I mean, sure they were trying to, but they were not expecting to solve the world's issues here. Um, could they could they help in that regard? Yeah, sure. Um, but they weren't expecting to fix things overnight. And I don't think anybody is when they decide to, to make a stand for something. But just because you cannot do that or that that's not possible, like that huge long-term goal is not going to happen, doesn't mean that you don't do anything or that you just sit on your hands and and, and just go along with the status quo and continue to just do whatever. Uh, because by not playing, what they accomplished was we, we talked about it more. And people say, well, what's the point of talking about it? Or, or like, how many times do we have to talk about it? Well, frankly, not. we haven't been talking about it enough or, you know, not enough over the, court, over the past few weeks for, anything to, for things to really change. So I, I think that that was one of their main points, too, is just the idea of reflecting on that day. And taking things away that, that we're so used to, as you said, being distractions for us. And for a lot of people, that makes them uncomfortable. Like, give me my baseball sort of thing, right? Like, what is this? Um, and so I think that attention grabber right there does a lot for you because that forces you to have that conversation. Okay, why are they not playing? Um, and, and all those other cu- questions that stem from that. So that's really the the reasons for it. I mean, the, the end game here wasn't to, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, like I said, it is, but it's not to fix the world's issues overnight. No, and I think it's a way of showing your intentions to people who do influence that change, policymakers, lawmakers, uh, state representatives, you know, members of Congress, right? You're, you're trying to say, hey, look, we want this to change. We're, we're serious about this. It, it's one of the cards that players have and it's yes it's not going to lead to overnight change so we're, we're talking about a, a problem in racial injustice that has existed as long as america has existed this is this is not new this is a, a centuries long problem that will require a lot of hard work to solve but this is a step in that direction all that being said not to cast that aside whatsoever Some things have happened on the field and in the front office since uh, we last spoke. Uh, The trade deadline passed on Monday, Will. It was a relatively quiet one for the Brewers. And I think 
the one move they made was the decision to trade David Phelps to the Phillies for three minor leaguers. And it's the kind of trade that a team in the middle of the pack in a year where 16 teams are going to get into the playoffs, it's the kind of trade you can make because you're not you're not waving the white flag. You're not saying your season is over, but you're also not trading away important pieces of your future trying to make a run in 2020 either. So to me, this is sort of just staying the course because the impact of trading away David Phelps, who's been great for the Brewers this season, is small in that the replacement could be Drew Rasmussen. It could be any number of relievers who step up to pitch well for the final half of this shortened season. Clearly, Josh Hader and Devin Williams are the one-two combination in the back of the bullpen right now that when the Brewers are protecting a lead going into the eighth inning, we're going to see those two guys. And the question now is, okay, with Phelps out of the eighth inning, who moves into Williams' old role in the seventh? Who's the best candidate to step up and provide those high-quality innings in situations the Brewers are protecting that late-inning lead? I think it's a combination of guys just to answer that question. It could be Freddie Peralta. It could be Brent Suter. It could be Eric Yardley. Like you mentioned, it could be Drew Rasmussen. I think it kind of depends on the day. It depends on the opponent. And I think that's what Craig Council wants for a guy who has been tethered to these matchups on both ends, offense and pitching. Hey, I think he's okay with that. Um, I think, sure, he'd rather have David Phelps because of how great David Phelps has been for the Brewers this season. But they dealt from an area of strength and really an area of surplus too. I mean, for a team that's probably headed toward around 500, they're going to get there with or without David Phelps. I'm sorry, but the Brewers are going to get where they're going without, with or without David Phelps. Um, they did not trade anybody else away too. I mean, they, they had other pieces. Brett Anderson is one that comes to mind as a guy who was on a one-year deal who could have helped a contending, uh, another contending team as a starting pitcher. They held on to him. They could have traded Orlando Arcia, who I'm sure we'll talk about more soon, um, and utilized Luis Urias at shortstop and continued with the Eric Sogard, Jed Jerko platoon, but they didn't do that. And also, it's worth mentioning that David Stern said that he expected to acquire a bat up until 255, five minutes before the deadline. And now, that's nice to say at the end, and you really don't know exactly what that means or how aggressive they were pursuing it, why a deal fell apart, who it was. Uh, press for those answers. He really didn't give those. So, I mean, we don't really know exactly what all that means. But, hey, to me, that tells you that they weren't completely sellers at all because, again, David trading David Phelps doesn't really change the, the direction of their season. But at the same time, they didn't get anybody. So, you, I mean, staying pat, they're the definition of staying pat, I feel like. Um, and somehow they did that while making a move. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. But, you know, the biggest thing they, they didn't do, I guess, is trade Josh Hader, which, it, which was rumored and discussed online. And, and from where I'm sitting, I never thought of that actually happening this year. And I think a big reason why, as we've seen, is not one top 100 prospect was traded on Monday. And so just the climate was just very different this year. So maybe it happens over the winter. Maybe it happens next trade next trade deadline. 
Um, but for now, they chose to hold on to Josh Hader, and they're pretty much the same team that they were 24, 48 hours ago. Yeah, and again, that's not to take away anything that David Phelps did, but he pitched 13 innings this season. You know, yeah. He's a guy that pitches about every other day. There's only so much of an impact you can have when you're pitching one inning every other day. You can mix and match. You can play the matchups. You can find somebody to come in and potentially... You know, replicate that performance and maybe it's a healthy Corey Knable later on this season maybe it's Rasmussen maybe it's someone else I mean coming into the season I don't think any of us expected Devin Williams to be as good as he's been so perhaps it is uh, somebody who's a little bit more under the radar maybe it's JP Fireisen down the stretch who emerges to take on a more prominent role uh, but the Brewers did take three of four from the Pirates uh, it was a weekend series that wrapped into Monday the weirdest thing I think I've seen on the field this season may have been Saturday night. Josh Hader just could not throw strikes in that appearance. Came on to protect a one-run lead. Uh, walked in two runs in that appearance, which is just bizarre. Uh, a total nightmare for him. Uh, unfortunately for him, like Eric Sogard came up in the bottom of the inning and hit a walk-off home run, which you called. Like we were texting during the game. You called it like 15 seconds before it happened. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but in reading a little bit about it and some of the adjustments he'd been making with Andy Haynes, it certainly made sense, right? He was making some adjustments, trying to get back to hitting the ball in the air again, trying to get a little more power out of his swing. So uh, he was absolutely due. You talk about players who've had just brutal first halves for the Brewers. Eric Sogard is near the top of that list. So to get that timely hit from somebody very unexpected on a night when the ace reliever didn't have anything working was perfect timing. Yeah, no. And, and I seriously, like while I texted you that, I seriously believed it. I, I really thought he was due, as crazy as it sounds. I mean, we're talking about a guy who not only hadn't hit a home run this year, but I mean, like, he just didn't slug at all. I mean, he wasn't even putting balls in the outfield, let alone, like, doubles or things like that. I mean, it was just not happening. But he did have... And I hate, to, I hate to pull the Craig Council card here but and, sa- and sound like Craig Council, but he did have those couple of swings against the Twins a few days prior where it was some hard contact for a change. I mean, this is a guy who... I think I looked at it on fan graphs. It was like 65% medium contact. I don't know if I've ever seen that high of a number for a guy with 100 plate, like almost 100 plate appearances at this point. I mean, he, it wasn't as if like he was hitting all soft contact, whatever. It's just that he was never hitting anything hard. But um, those two swings, I believe it was against Sonny Gray. So it was against the, against the Reds, not the Twins, excuse me. But... Um, against Gray, he had pulled those two balls into the outfield. And again, that's something that he was doing last year that he wasn't doing this year. And it just made you think, okay, maybe he's figured things out. And so I had asked him just, okay, like, what have you been working on here? Because that's a little bit different. And then that's when he talked about just the changes of trying to get more strength from his lower body, uh, the changes that he was trying to make with Andy Haynes, who I'm sure is having some serious stress level issues this year <laughs> with all that he's had to deal with. But but yeah, man, it was it was good to see Eric Sogard do that because in the background and the backdrop of all of that, we have been talking with Craig Council just past couple of days about why is this guy even in the lineup right now? 
I mean, he's just been struggling. You have Jed Jerko. Why are you continuing to be married to these platoons when the matchups have not yielded any positive results on on that on that side? And so he's st- he stuck to his guns with it. Uh, that day, he had finally th- publicly said that he thought about starting Jed Jerko instead. So, kind of gave you a little bit of an idea of how much patience or how much time is left with just going with the status quo in that sense. So it was all really interesting. And they get the win, and then things continue, I think. to They continue to win in some weird and different ways, where, again, on Monday night, we saw Orlando Arcia step up and have a timely hit. And that's another guy who, he's had a good year, but he shouldn't be leading your team in, in uh, batting average or second in OPS or whatever he is. So it, it, it's been weird and different for sure the past couple of days. Yeah, I mean, Arcia with that game-winning pinch hit single uh, on Monday night, uh, partially the function of Ryan Braun not being available. I mean, he's been just about a league average hitter through 33 games, but the big difference is he is walking more than ever. You mentioned the OBP, 340. Like That's just not something you expect to see from Orlando Arcia. The defense has been a tick above average, so that certainly helps. And he was among the players whose name I saw on Twitter in trade rumors on Monday. I didn't really see any potential fits there, but it was interesting to see his name popping up with some of the national writers who get pretty active around trade deadline time. Uh, but I, I think this is a team that it still has the ability to get bounce-back performances from a lot of players and end up having that sort of September run that we've seen each of the last two Septembers. Different circumstances, of course, with rosters not being expanded quite the same way. But, as we've said before, you look at the underperforming bats, and I include you know, Christian Yelich in that, even though he's been sort of Yelich-like at times for the overall body of work this season. He hasn't been himself. A 29% strikeout rate, a 197, 319, 462 line, eight home runs in 32 games, but that's just not typical Christian Yelich. You, you look at him, you look at Hira, uh, you look at Avi Garcia, who's been more lost, I think, than I would have expected at this point. I think he shows these flashes where he looks like he's about to unlock it and, and get back on track, and then he just has a couple plate appearances where it just looks like a step back in the wrong direction, and that's been pretty frustrating to watch. Uh, Luis Urias, who came up and flourished that first week, has really cooled off. I think he has another level. I think Smoke has another level. Omar Narvaez has just continued to struggle. It looked like at the end of the series in Pittsburgh last week that he was maybe starting to get everything put back together. That hasn't been the case. I think that's become a bit more of an issue because Manny Pena suffered an injury since you and I last spoke, and he went on the injured list uh, with a torn meniscus. So uh, we probably won't see him again until the playoffs, if we even see him then. And that, of course, requires the Brewers to make it to the postseason. So it's been Jacob Nottingham handling the backup catcher duties, which I think puts a little extra pressure on Norvias to turn around this this half-season slump. Yeah, for how hard the Brewers have been to watch at times. There are a lot of like interesting little things going on with them right at this moment where they head into September with the previous success, like you mentioned in previous Septembers, this being different, like you said, with uh, without the expanded rosters and all. But 
if they just get some consistency out of Christian Yelich and Keston Hira, I think that goes a long way because that's really the thing that's been missing with Christian Yelich is he has shown those he's had those games where he's looked like himself, but he it hasn't carried over. It's been a little bit here, a little bit there, but nothing really sustained over you know three or four games or anything like that. It's come and go. It has came and went with him, I guess, is the best way to put it. And then with Keston here, I mean, we've seen, just seen him swing and miss way too much. There's going to be some swing and miss with him. I, I still think that, but not at the rate that we're seeing, especially in the zone. I mean, he's too good. So I don't know. It's like one of those deals where we keep saying, like, when is it going to change or when is it going to get better? And I think over 162, it there would be more of a reason to believe it will. But here with what? 26 games left as we're talking i'm not convinced that it will still i mean it's nice to say that it will but and there it's and there's reason to be optimistic and positive about it but it could be one of those deals where you know 60 games is just not enough so we'll see about that because it could be 60 games or you know i mean it could have happened in 65 games you know i mean this is still what would have been what early may in a regular season so I think that puts it in perspective of, of what we're talking about here. Right. How panicked would we be looking at these numbers if it were a 162-game season this year and it were the second week of May? I think that's a, a fair question to ask. And you know, the schedule the rest of the way is pretty odd. Uh, I mentioned up at the top, the Brewers have a two-game series at Miller Park against the Tigers, an off-day Thursday, three in Cleveland, another off-day on Monday on Labor Day, Two on the road against the Tigers next week. Another off day on Thursday. Three at home against the Cubs. They've played seven against the Cubs all at Wrigley to this point, so it'll be nice to play the Cubs back at home. Five games in three days against the Cardinals at Miller Park. A quick off day on that Thursday. And then you've got three against the Royals from the 18th to the 20th at home. Three against the Reds on the road. And then you've got uh, another five-game stretch against the Cardinals because you had a four-game series originally with a doubleheader squeezed in there as well. So 10 games against the Cardinals remaining. They're going to play the Cardinals 10 times between September 14th and September 27th. And depending on what's going on with the Reds and the Cubs, I mean, that could easily be a series of games that determines one team's fate as it pertains to the postseason. The winner of that season series could be in the postseason, and the loser may end up missing out. Yeah, that's precisely what came across my mind this morning when I was looking at, okay, well, here we are in September. What does the schedule look like? And those 10 games just jump out at you. Their whole season really depends on how they shape against the Cardinals, how they will fare against the Cardinals, how they stack up against the Cardinals at this point. Um, Could they go four and six and still get in the playoffs? Sure, of course. Um, everybody's getting in the playoffs this year. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. But that said, I mean, you look at it, the standings today, and you see teams like the Marlins who made a move to, to help their chances. You see a team like the, the Giants who, have, who are playing better than expectations. The Rockies, who people didn't really expect to be a contender or in the mix. And, you know, the, the Mets are, are, are starting to turn a corner, it looks like, and, and perform better. Uh, since the last week. And then the Phillies, of course, were the team that acquired David Phelps, have made some moves, who have treaded water, remain 500. So as much as I say, like, everybody's making the playoffs this year, and, you know, with eight teams in the league going to the playoffs, it sure seems like that. They could easily be the ninth or tenth best team um, at this point. So I don't know exactly how 
these 26 games, I'm not, I don't have a great opinion on, okay, they're going to look like this because I, I'm kind of undecided on what I expect from the offense. Part of me says it can't get, it can't continue to look like this. But then the other part of me says, well, it's been how many games? And we've been saying this almost every week. So I don't know. I, I think that they got, what, 20, 26 games left in September for, for September. And so if they, I, I guess they, if it's me and I'll ask you afterward, I have them going probably off the top of my head, just looking at the schedule, play the Royals a few times, play the Tigers. They've been better. They're not exactly the bottom feeders that we expected. Um, I get them going to two games over 500 for the month. Something like that I think is reasonable. So that'd bring them back to 500 for the season. Yeah. I had them, I think, in the full season projection, I was asked on a podcast back in, I want to say it was either January or February, it was the Effectively Wild podcast. And I think I had the Brewers going was it 83 wins and falling just short of the postseason. So based on that sort of projection, I think I have to have them two over 500 the rest of the way to at least be close to that number in the prorated season. But with more teams getting to the playoffs, I think they actually do sneak in. I think the way the way this works this year, for anyone who's not familiar, it's the top two teams in each division and the next two best records in each league. So as it stands today, if the playoffs were to start right now, it would be the Cubs and Cardinals, because win percentage would be uh, the tiebreaker since the Cardinals have played fewer games. It'd be the Dodgers and Padres, and it would be the Marlins and Braves. The Phillies would get in as a 500 team, and I believe the Rockies would edge out the Brewers for the final playoff spot. But the group of teams that are all clustered there in the wild card mix, they're all kind of in the mix for second place in their respective divisions too. Uh, that would include you know, the Phillies, the Mets, the Reds, the Brewers are in that cluster, the Giants, as you mentioned before. Arizona ended up trading more players away than expected, so maybe they're waving the white flag a little bit. But anything could happen in a 20-30 to 30 game stretch for the teams that still have that many games left. I mean, you can get red hot and run away with the division, or you could be ice cold and play yourself into a situation like the one the Pirates are in right now. I mean, they're 10-22. and 22. Like There could easily be one or two more teams in the middle right now who just sink to the bottom because they have a stretch where they win uh, one out of 10 games, and suddenly they're just buried, and they're not going to have enough time to make up that ground. So I, I see this very similar to the way you do. I mean, I think the series against the Tigers, you got to take three of four against Detroit um, with the two at home and two on the road. Cleveland's tough. I mean, their starting pitching is so good. For a Brewers offense that has really struggled to score runs, I think that's going to be an extremely difficult series. I think the Brewers match up fine with the Cubs. We've seen them enough. Nothing to worry about there. You know, the Cardinals have flaws this year, so nothing to worry about there. The Royals are a favorable draw in September as well. Uh, so if the Brewers can just especially make their layups against the Tigers and Royals, if they win six out of seven games against those two teams, that's a huge lift for them in a stretch that has a lot of very borderline matchups otherwise. Yeah, what I was getting at is that the the Tigers have played better lately. I mean, they they really took it to the Twins recently, um, and and the Royals. I mean, they, they've had a they had a nice little stretch earlier this year where they won some games and looked okay, but they're not very good, of course. I'm just saying that they're not exactly like the 
pirates in that regard. I, I feel a little bit better about the Royals and the Tigers than I do about the pirates, <laughs> you know, in this, in a, if I'm breaking it down by tier. So, but I'm with you. They got to win those games uh, to feel good about their chances. And it goes without saying, though, that this week will be crazy. And the, the last week of the season is just going to be nuts when it comes to all those teams vying for those spots. Yeah, um, I'm there with you. This is going to be a really fun September because of the shortened season. We all wish this was a, a normal year. It just hasn't been. But I think with so many playoff spots up for grabs, we're going to see teams that ordinarily wouldn't have been in the mix actually making runs like that. I think you're right. The Tigers brought up a lot of young pitching. So they're playing with house money as a 500 team right now. They are facing an uphill battle because the AL Central has been really good. That's going to be a fun race to watch with the White Sox and Cleveland and Minnesota uh, all within a couple games of each other, all with 20 or more wins already on this season as well. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Section 422. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one at theathletic.com slash 422 to get a 40% discount. If you have questions you want us to get to on a future episode, you can send those our way via Twitter. And if you're enjoying this podcast and listening on a platform like Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a nice rating and review, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.